Hey guys, welcome to Slashic Horror. I'm your host, Leroy Cross James, a young, respectable stand-up lad from England who has a taste for the horrific and the grisly, and no, I'm not just talking about my taste in men. No, I'm talking, of course, about horror. And this is the thing with this week's episode. I decided to talk about a film that, strictly speaking by genre, it's not horror. I know, controversial, right? But, okay, so when I say it's not horror, I'm not going to be talking about something stupid like the Muppets on Treasure Island or some random shit like that. No, not today at least, anyway. And I've decided I'm going to talk to you about a film that I would argue has some horror elements to it, going off last week's genre of the film phenomena. It borrows some of the style from Italian giallo movies, so Italian thrillers, and also slasher movies. So... I just thought as well this would be a good film to talk about because I really enjoyed this film and I just think that some parts of it are quite creepy. And, you know, I think thrillers and horror go hand in hand anyway. I mean, I love a good thriller, especially an erotic thriller, which is what this film is. So let's get down to it. I'm sure you're all familiar with a director called Brandy Palmer who famously directed Carrie, starring Sissy Spacek, Piper Laurie, and John Travolta. He also directed Scarface, one of the most quotable movies of all time. You know, say hello to my little friend. And that is as far as my um, accent goes on that. Um, but yeah, anyway. Uh, but back in the back in 1984, De Palma directed the movie that I'm going to talk about today, which is Body Double. And this stars Craig Wasson, who starred in Ghost Story, and he also starred in Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, Dream Warriors. And it also stars Melanie Griffith, who, after this film, went on to star in Something Wild, and one of my all-time 80s favourite movies, Working Girl, uh, with Sigourney Weaver and Harrison Ford. So yeah, Body Double isn't horror, like I said, but it is neo-noir, it's an erotic thriller, and it tells the story of a struggling actor who catches his girlfriend cheating and he ends up house-sitting in a place in the Hollywood Hills. And each night, via a telescope, he watches a girl in the house down the hill do a seductive dance and then he witnesses her murder. Does this sound familiar? Because it should. De Palma loves him some Hitchcock and this is a very Hitchcockian movie. Like, Rear Window obviously springs to mind, but there is a twist to this film. So, I will just say this, it's not the only Hitchcock film that he was clearly inspired by. Okay. So, in terms of Body Double, I I saw it many, many years ago, and it was on TV, if I remember correctly. It might have been on TV, or it might have even been. It might have even been on Netflix when it originally first, when it, when it first came to the UK. Um, like I said, back when Netflix very first came to UK, they had some really good cult films on there, which just nowadays they just wouldn't have really. And um, if if it was if it was then then you know I'm sure I watched it late one night for a random reason, but I remember being attracted to it because um, Craig Wasson was in it, and I loved Ghost Story and obviously Dream Warriors, so I thought okay, um, and I love Melanie Griffith in Working Girl. Uh, but speaking of speaking of Dream Warriors or Freddy Krueger rather, Craig Wasson always reminds me of a cross between Robert Englund and Judge Reinhold. You know from Fast Fast Times at Ridgemont High and Beverly Hills Cop, and he was also in Ruthless People with uh, Bette Midler as well. 
And that's just by appearance-wise, I mean. I mean, some of his mannerisms actually remind me a bit of Judge Reinhold. So, um, but yeah. Not long after, um, not long... Sorry, not long before I watched Body Double, I'd also seen Dress to Kill, which is excellent. I absolutely love that film. It's another Brian De Palma film um, that I'm sure I'll discuss at some point in the future. That one is very much, um, very much inspired by Hitchcock as well, which is why these two films go hand in hand. I should have done a double bill, really, but oh well, I'm sure I'll cover it eventually. So after many years of not seeing the film, I was I was in town recently, um, Liverpool, and in that second-hand store, I'm sure many of my UK listeners are aware of, Kex, I found the Blu-ray of Body Double from um, a distributor called Indicator. Uh, they also have uh, released uh, Happy Birthday to Me and Christine uh, recently, I think. Um, but I snatched it up straight away because I actually got the edition that includes not only the Blu-ray, but it includes the DVD and it also includes a booklet as well, uh, featuring essays on the film and, and then an interview with Brian De Palma from 1984, which was an interesting read. But before I get into that, what I kind of love about these cult films as well, and I know that I, I think I briefly touched on this in the last episode, is that with these new physical releases that they do, they really do put the emphasis on it being a special release because sometimes they'll they'll do a, a special edition or a limited edition where they will include a, a, a booklet full of essays or interviews and stuff and it's just something I really love about cult films and it just yeah so I, I, I read the booklet for this one for, for Body Double and yeah it had this interview with Brian De Palma and a journalist called Marsha Polly who goes in fucking hard on De Palma for the violence against women in his films and she also accuses him of being misogynistic. And some of her notes as well is that she feels uncomfortable with the way that De Palma looks at her. Um, I mean, read into that what you will. But, yeah, she really goes in hard on him. She asks him, do you consider your work to be pornographic? And De Palma responds, no. But now you're getting into what is and what isn't pornography. The stuff that is shot and sold as porn is meant to get you aroused and to climax. I don't think my movies have people coming in their seats. Fair enough. Um, she also goes directly in on something that I'm sure follows De Palma around to this day, when she says that he's often been accused of lifting from Hitchcock, like particularly bathroom scenes. And he says that if I'm attracted to something, I shouldn't refuse to use it just because Hitchcock was attracted to it. Hitchcock discovered that people feel safe in the bathroom with the door shut, which is why obviously he inserted that film, uh, inserted that scene into Psycho, and it's obviously inspired many films since and many scenes in films since. And I mean, it's a fair enough answer as well. Like at the end of the day, and do you know what? I feel that Brian De Palma he does he is heavily inspired by Hitchcock in this film and other films as well dressed to kill obsession but he does it well i mean think about how many films have a similar plot to a lot of hitchcock films nowadays anyway and it's funny that in the next article in this booklet which is from 1987 de palma talks about his film influences and his guilty pleasures and there was absolutely no mention of hitch at all and i wonder whether that was intentional on his behalf because he probably got to the point where he was sick of his work being either accused of being being compared to hitch uh hitchcock or plagiarizing hitchcock i suppose is another way to put it 
But he, as like I said, he does it well, and he, what he does with the material that is inspired by Hitchcock films, he makes his own, and he makes it more interesting. But I also think personally that De Palma is very much inspired by um, Dario Argento and vice versa. And I feel like there was that like that community of directors back then and they, they were inspired by each other anyway. So it's not just Hitch that I see in his films. I do see a lot of Argento and especially in Dress to Kill and Body Double. But yeah, I'll get into that later. So let's talk about the movie. Um, <laughs> and this movie, I may as well warn you, like... Not not to the extent of phenomena, but this movie is a little bit nuts. It's it's very eighties, and for I will say this: it it's, it is a messy film. Um, it's not as like pristine as other films that Department's done. So, I would consider Dress to Kill to be a bit more polished than this. But I think that's the intention of this film. It's meant to be messy. Um, you know, it's a film based in Hollywood. So, yeah. It starts on the set of a cheesy bee vampire flick called Vampire's Kiss, which later on would actually become uh, not the film in this film, not the film within the film of this, but it would become a real film with Nicolas Cage. And even the opening credits to the film, to the start, the start of Bloody Double, like they're in this like bloody style font as the camera brings us in to Jake Scully, who's played by Craig Wasson, our main character. And he's dressed as a vampire, but he looks more like he's about to either betray Billy Idol or Spike from Buffy the Vampire Slayer in a lifetime biopic. Like, he has this terrible blonde wig, he's got this makeup on, um, these awful fangs, leather gloves, leather, leather everything, more or less, and just a bare torso. And he's lying in this coffin, because he's obviously he's meant to be a vampire, and he pulls this really cheesy, scary face. And he can't move. Jake can't move because he has claustrophobia. So the director, Ruben, who's played by a frequent player in a lot of De Palma's movies, actually, Dennis Franz, tells him it's fine and that he should go home. And he calls him Jakey Baby or Jakey Babe or something like that quite a bit as well. And apparently Franz uh, based his portrayal of Ruben, the director, on Brian De Palma. So there we go. Uh, so Jake does. He goes home to his girlfriend, Carol, who he catches in bed with another man and he moves out. And also a side note here, Carol who doesn't have any lines in the film, is played by horror legend Barbara Crampton in her very first film role. Interesting, right? I know. See, there's some horror connection to it. There's another one later as well. Um, but Jake ends up losing his role in the vampire flick because of his claustrophobia, because it keeps happening every time he's on set when he's in the coffin. So he goes to a method acting class where he's humiliated by the teacher and he keeps pushing him um, to go to go to a dark place. And he remembers his childhood where he was playing a game with his siblings behind the refrigerator because he was meant to be a sardine in a can or something like that. And um, this is the result of his claustrophobia from his childhood. So he bursts into tears, has a little bit of a mini breakdown. And then this man called Sam stands up to the teacher and tells him to stop. So Jake and this guy Sam leave and they later go to a bar to get acquainted. And it's here that Sam offers Jake a place to stay, now that he's homeless, for a friend. And he house-sits uh, for this friend while he's out of town, so Jake takes over. Now, the house that Jake house-sits 
it's fucking beyond. It's it's so out of this world, ultra modern and super eighties. Like it has a rotating circular bed, the the large plants, um, that, like it's minimalist, but it's not. It's just a proper bachelor's pad. Circular windows all the way around. It's actually shaped like an octagon, if I'm being honest. And I looked up the house, and the house is actually called the Chemosphere, and it's located in the Hollywood Hills, where this is meant to be set as well, and is owned by Benedict Tashan, uh, Tashen, uh, you know, part of the art book publishing house, Tashen. So, yeah, seriously, honestly, Google this house. It is immense, and it's had some remodeling done over the years, and it's just it's a crazy-looking place. It's like, it's like something from the Jetsons, honestly. So Sam shows Jake the telescope that's um in the in the house, um which he says is the most uh, the most interesting thing about it. And Jake directly looks over at the neighbor's house through the telescope, and Sam tells him that every night, the neighbor who lives down the hill, Gloria, does an erotic dance in her bedroom in next to nothing, and this is where Jake spends every night hereafter watching Gloria. So it is kind of pervy, it's kind of kinky, but remember this is an 80s film. So, you know, we we just got to take this with a pinch of salt. And I think it's things like this that that reporter, um, that the Palmer was getting slated by, was kind of referring to with the misogyny or rather his portrayal of women in his films. But yeah, I mean, here it's it's it works. I mean, this, this is a film that is very much from the perspective of a male, the male gaze, literally. So we'll take it with a pinch of salt, even though Jake is a very weird person. <laughs> so one night while Jake's watching Gloria, he witnesses her put the light on where she sees her husband going into their safe. And they have some sort of argument where her husband pushes her and hits her. So the next day, Jake decides to follow Gloria and she goes to the mall where she goes to buy some underwear and Jake just stands outside the women's lingerie shop watching her get undressed in the fitting room, which prompts the saleswoman to call security. But at the same time, there's also someone following them. So the same night, or the night before, I believe it is, Jake also sees a weird, creepy man who's on the telephone pole with a drill watching Gloria as she does an erotic dance in her bedroom. Now, what I will say about this scene is it's very long, but what also happens is with this creepy man, he follows Gloria and Jake as Jake's also following Gloria. I know, very confusing, throughout the, the mall. So Gloria goes to leave, but she decides that she's not going to take the underwear with her, so she leaves the bag behind and Jake picks up her underwear. And then he follows her to a beach house where she has a telephone conversation with someone and it sounds like she's having an affair with somebody behind her husband's back or she's rather she's trying to have an she's having an affair and she's in love with somebody and she wants to get away from her husband for whatever reason. But he stands her up. So Laurie takes a little stroll down the beach and this is where Jake, after this really long scene, so, I mean, to be honest, I've seen people slate this scene on, like, reviews and stuff, but I, I really like it. I think it's, you know, it builds up the tension quite a bit, especially with this creepy man who's following them. Um, he's, 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 when I say creepy as well, he's got this 
face that looks it's quite it's like burnt and or, or just really weird um i don't know how to describe it really but he's referred to as the indian so jake finally approaches gloria and he tells her because he's seen the indian following them around he says somebody's following you which she says i know thinking that it's him because she recognizes him from the mall and before they're about to have a conversation, the Indian comes out of nowhere and he snatches Gloria's bag running down the beach. So Jake goes after him, but he goes through a tunnel. And this is where Jake's claustrophobia sets in and he doesn't manage to get the bag from the Indian in time. But the Indian just gets something from the bag and then he just leaves it and then does a runner. And Gloria comes to save Jake. Then after this... And this is where the film gets a little bit weird. Jake and Gloria have this really intense kiss where the camera kind of rotates around them and it just looks really fake. But I think that's the intention. Like, remember, this is a film in Hollywood and it's a film about voyeurism. And it's a film about illusion. Um, spoiler, mini spoiler alert before we get to the reveal. So I think that was De Palma's intention, but... Yeah, before they more or less uh, are about to fuck on the beach, um, Gloria says that she can't do this and then she runs away, probably because she's in love with this other guy or she's already in deep shit with her husband for whatever reason. So she runs off and she leaves Jake with blue balls, which is exactly what he deserves. But later that night, he watches Gloria arrive home and notices that the Indian is in her bedroom with that huge fucking drill that he's been using on the telephone poles outside her house, trying to break into her safe. So Jake calls Gloria to warn her, and then the man comes up behind her, the Indian comes up behind her and strangles her with the telephone wire. But she manages to push him off, and he bangs his head on his own drill. <laughs> um, but Gloria calls the police and tries to get her voice back as the Indian comes at her with this large phallic fucking drill and he attacks her with it. So I'll talk a little bit about this scene before I go any further. This is one. This is why this film is classed as controversial because of this drill. So in that same interview with um, Brandy Palmer and the, the journalist, um, I've forgotten the name already. Um, oh, what was the name? Marsha Polly, with Marsha Polly, she asks him why a drill, and he his excuse is because that's the job of the person who is the killer. But she's going, then she's asking him why a razor blade in dress to kill. So I think her issue, and I think the issue was was just how violent this was against women, which I totally get. But this isn't something new. It's been done in slasher films. It's been done in giallo films which is what this scene reminds me of it reminds me of something from a slasher or a giallo film and the reason it does is because like the weapon is just something you can imagine being in like an italian horror flick or or a slasher film in general but the close-ups of gloria's eyes it's very argento the lighting the bright lighting that happens that comes like the cinematography very argento as well so the Indian teases her with, with the drill. He's already hit her in the back with the drill. So she's bleeding a little bit already, but it comes out of the socket and she tries to, to get away. And in the meantime, Jake has ran down the hill. He's caught up with two joggers and they rush over to the house. 
But once Jake's inside the house, he gets attacked by the dog, which is quite funny. And then the Indian plugs the drill back into the wall, the wall socket, pushes Gloria to the ground, and then he drills right through her, and it goes right through to the ceiling, where Jake can see the blood coming out. So this is very much like a horrific moment in the thriller. And like I said, it's it's something that I would, would have expected from an Italian horror giallo or a slasher film. And I can understand why it was controversial at the time, as I say, with the you know, with the fact that drill, but De Palma's reason for that that entire scene was because he wanted that shot of the drill going through the ceiling, so it had to be long enough for it to do that. He said it wasn't about it being phallic, but obviously through modern um critiquing of the film that's also what the conclusion people still come to about it so obviously Gloria's dead and the Indian disappears and as Jake goes upstairs and finds a body but the police rule him out as a suspect obviously because he was he managed to get there with two witnesses but he tells the police that he's been watching her he's seen this uh, Indian guy watching he's seen the husband hit her but the police turn around and basically say that even though he's not a suspect, it's his fault that she's dead because he didn't do anything about it sooner. So he goes into this bit of uh, like a bit of a depressive slump and he gets over it by deciding he's going to watch a bit of porn, have a couple of beers on the rotating bed. And this is when he watches a trailer for a film called Holly Does Hollywood with porn star Holly Body, played by... Melanie Griffith and this is where the plausibility of this film gets a little bit (laughs) like a little bit out there Jake recognizes Holly's body Holly body Holly body's body (laughs) that's a mouthful (laughs) and he's convinced himself it's her who he's been watching across the street in Gloria's house and not actually Gloria now I don't know about you I can barely remember half the things on my own body let alone anyone else's so he would he would must have memorized every single imperfection um birthmark or you know everything so the plausibility of this is a little bit out there but we're just going to go with it because it's an 80s film and yeah we love the 80s but this is a little bit fucking nuts (laughs) so what does jake do jake rents the film and watches it rewinding it and going back to make sure he's not not losing it and then he meets with the porn director that holly works with quite a bit and he manages to get a part in a porn film that they're filming with holly body so yes he's really going to these lengths he's you know already a struggling actor so you know he manages to easily get into a porn film and this next scene is fucking golden i love this scene Relax by Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Yes, the Liverpudlian group who sang Relax. They are in this film. And Jake's waiting outside of a club, dressed like a nerd, with glasses and like a checkered sort of jumper on. And coming up the stairs, lip syncing to Relax is none other than Holly Johnson of Frankie Goes to Hollywood. I know, I know, it's amazing. And he guides Jake into this club where everyone's dressed in leather and they're like dancing um, seductively with each other. And he, um, this is where he finds Holly Body. 
And as the he opens the door, which has a mirror on it, the mirror shows all the cameras that are behind them. So this is kind of like a music video slash a film within the film section. And we learn that this is the set of the porn film that Jake's going to be in. Also, as random as it is, that in this scene, they have Frankie Goes to Hollywood. I think that having them in this, this scene and the song Relax is actually kind of perfect because... Um, when Relax was originally released, it was banned on MTV and it was banned in the UK by the BBC um, because of the lyrics and also because of the original video, which had, um, you know, it alluded to asphyxiation, uh, it alluded to sports play, S&M. So it was very controversial at the time. And they had so many videos for Relax. There's one with laser beams literally just laser beams uh they had a live performance one and then there's also a version of body double with some extra scenes added in and scenes from the film and um, that was used as a music video as well but yeah they they were censored more or less and they holly johnson said in interviews that the lyrics to relax wasn't actually about sex it was actually about motivation which was just a complete fabrication so they could get unbanned because this was their first single so I mean, it gave them um, a bit of a, a bit of credit, I suppose, as being a um, band, one of the first bands that were probably but um, bands that were banned for having a song that was so sexual for the first first uh, single. But obviously, the song's an absolute banger. But yeah, it, it's probably perfect for this type of film, actually. So Jake and Holly fuck, um, but they don't take any of the clothes off. And um, after this, he has a little meeting with her where he says he's a porn producer and he like, dons this like slicked back look and he just looks really sleazy. So it just, again, plausibility and, um, you know, being realistic. If <laughs> I don't think that Holly Body, who's... It sounds like she's a pretty big deal in the porn industry in, in this film. I, I think she would probably see right through someone like him. But he manages to like convince her to come back to the house later on. But what I love about this scene is the line that she says, and this is just fucking brilliant. So Holly Body's negotiations for working with Jake are, I do not do animal acts. I do not do S&M or any variations of that particular bent. No water sports either. I will not shave my pussy. No fist fucking and absolutely no coming in my face. I get $2,000 a day and I do not work without a contract. Okay. I, uh, do you know what? As well, Melanie Griffith, she's not really in the film for that long. Well, actually, spoiler alert, she is. And I'll tell you about that in a minute. But... She's, not, realistically, as Holly, she's not in this the film for that long. And she does such a good job in this film, but I still feel like nowadays nobody really talks about her role in this film as much. And she, this is what got her, like, roles in, you know, some of the, of the successful films that she did later on. Like, Something Wild and Working Girl. But yeah, she does, when she's introduced to the film, she just really makes an impact on it. Like, she's part of the reason that this film really works. So Jake manages to get Holly to come back to the the uh, the bachelor pad, the chemosphere, and it's here that he asks her if she was hired to pretend to be somebody, and he manages to get it out of her that she was actually the one who's been dancing seductively for him uh, across the street in Gloria's house, and 
he tries to get out a name from from her and he even goes as far as to accuse her of being in on it which makes her mad so she leaves and while she's halfway down the road the indian comes and knocks holly out which jake sees and he pieces everything together because he realizes that it's somebody who he knows who's doing this to him and he goes after them and he's burying for some reason a grave for holly so he puts holly in this grave and then jake come tries to come to the rescue but the indian knocks him into the grave where his claustrophobia sets in and he reveals himself to be sam the person that got him to house sit in the first place so it was all this big hoax because sam turns out to be gloria's husband and he wanted to kill her because either because she was having an affair and seeing someone else but also probably because she was rich as well um that's the impression i got if we're going down the dial m for murder route with you know with hitchcock um so that just make that's what makes sense but yeah he takes off like this latex so he's been the indian all along and then jake's claustrophobia really sets in and he has this weird like dream sequence where he imagines he's on the set of vampire's kiss and everyone's encouraging him to get out of his claustrophobic state and he manages to get up out of the coffin and he pushes um sam into the reservoir that's nearby and at this point, Holly wakes up, which is that I love this scene because it's just hilarious. And she just thinks that it's been Jake who's knocked her out and put her in the grave randomly. So Jake asks her to trust him. And then the next shot we see is on the set of Vampire's Kiss for real this time. And Jake's finally got his part back. And he's in the shower with an actress who then swaps out with a body double to do the nudity while Holly stands and watches. So it either looks like they've made up and they're friends or they're together. I can't tell which. And when the body double comes in, Jake bites the neck and obviously the special effects of the blood run down the body and the credits roll. So the reason this film is called Body Double is because when Brandy Palmer did his previous film, Dress to Kill, he got the idea from when he had Angie Dickinson in the shower in the very first opening scene of Dress to Kill, and they used a body double because there was some intense nude nude scenes in the, the beginning of that film. So it kind of comes full circle from his idea in, in Dress to Kill right through to the end of this film where it happens again in the same sort of scenario in a, in a shower. But I was just looking on IMD, IMBD actually about Body Double and apparently Brian De Palmer originally also wanted this to be the first Hollywood film to boast unsimulated sex scenes, but the studio thought differently. And one other thing I forgot to mention was, during the Frankie Goes to Hollywood scene, um, Scream Queen Brink Stevens um, is actually in that scene as well. So there's another, another link to horror there. If, we're, if, you know, if you're interested in horror people, horror legends and horror facts. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis and Carrie Fisher auditioned for the role of Holly, but turned it down. And Brunk Shields was offered the role, but she turned it down to study French literature at Princeton. Hmm, interesting. All right, guys, so that's um, that's all for today's episode. If you have any questions, please feel free to follow me on at Slashic Horror on Twitter and Instagram. 
Um, and you can also follow my main account, which is at Leroy Cross James on Instagram as well. That's Leroy with two E's. And uh, next uh, next week, I've got a special guest coming on to discuss a film, but um, I will reveal that later on in the week. So yeah, follow follow for more updates on Instagram and Twitter, and I will see you on the next episode of Slashic Horror.